Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're joined by a pair of special guests, the Super Bracket Brothers. We're joined by Jay Davis. Hi, Jay. Hey, Affable Chat audience. How's it going today, guys? And the other half of the Super Bracket Brothers Eli Stokes. Welcome, Eli. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And we've brought them here today because we're talking about Kubo and the Two Strings. If you must blink, do it now. (gasps) 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 Pay careful attention to everything you see and hear, no matter how unusual it may seem. And please be warned. If you fidget, if you look away, if you forget any part of what I tell you, even for an instant, then our hero will surely perish. This is a stop-motion animated family action fantasy drama. Directed by Travis Knight. The cast includes Rickon Stark. All right, all right, all right, I'm a beetle. Voldemort. Imperator Furiosa, the the girl with the dragon tattoo, Lieutenant Sulu, Shang Tsung, and Bunny Bravo. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it. I actually watched it on Amazon and on YouTube. I watched it twice in the last week. So Wow. Uh, (laughs) Doing his homework over here. Jay, how did you watch this movie? Uh, I also watched it on Amazon, and I only watched it once. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and Eli, how about you? How'd you watch it? I did it on YouTube as well. And like I said, only once. So, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just giving Joey his just due. <laughs> the absolute minimum required and, uh, and sometimes the maximum required as well. So uh, we'll begin our analysis of this movie with a synopsis that Joey wrote. Joey, get us started. Kubo is a young, one-eyed boy with a magical three-string Samson. He uses it in his origami to entertain the locals in a small village near his home. His mother is rarely lucid, but when she is, she tells him wondrous stories about his father Hanzo, a mighty warrior that won her heart years ago. Hanzo perished when his son was very young, and Kubo never met him. Kubo's family is very unusual. His mother used to be some sort of dark specter and she and her sisters would often descend to Earth to destroy heroes that had become too strong. They did this at the behest of Kubo's grandfather, the Moon King. The Moon King also stole the young boy's eye. Kubo's mother offers warnings as well. Always keep a small monkey charm with him. Always wear his father's robe, and never stay out after dark. If he does, the Moon King will find him and steal his remaining eye. One day, while in town, Kubo attempts to engage in a community festival and speak to his father beyond the grave, but no one answers. Frustrated, he loses track of time and the sun sets. Immediately, two mysterious female figures appear, calling to Kubo and promising to steal his one good eye. Kubo is saved by his mother, who uses the last of her magic to send him to the Far Lands. Kubo is awoken by his monkey charm, which has transformed into a real monkey. Together, they start a journey to gather the only tools known to pose a threat to the Moon King, a suit of armor with three parts. Along the way, 
they meet a man who has been turned into a giant beetle. The man has no memories, but he believes he is a disciple of Hanzo, Kubo's father, so he joins their quest. The trio travel far and wide and successfully collect two of the pieces of armor, the sword unbreakable and the breastplate impenetrable. All the while, Kubo's magic grows more and more powerful. During a fight with one of Kubo's evil ants, Monkey becomes injured and reveals that she is not just any magical talking monkey, she is actually Kubo's mom reincarnated. Kubo has a dream about where the final piece of armor resides and leads the group there. But it turns out to be an ambush. Another of Kubo's evil ants attacks, and she reveals that Beetle isn't just any magical talking beetle, he is actually Kubo's father, Hanzo. Beetle and Monkey are killed by Kubo's evil ant, but the boy survives, strumming his magical samisen so hard it breaks two of its strings. He finds the final piece of armor, the helmet invulnerable, back in his tiny village and summons the Moon King. The Moon King offers Kubo immortality in exchange for his one remaining eye, but Kubo refuses and attempts to fight. The Moon King turns into a giant dragon and bats Kubo around until he loses the armor and is left only with his samisen. Kubo rallies himself, and using his mother's hair, his father's bowstring, and his own hair, he restrings the Samison and faces off against the Moon King. With the help of the spirits of the dead and the memories of the living, Kubo defeats his grandfather and reduces him back to a simple man. The ex-Moon King has lost all his memories too. The townsfolk tell him he was a generous, selfless soul and a valued member of the community. The End there you have it, the events of Kubo and the Two Strings synthesized down for your enjoyment. And we'll begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. We'll start with Jay. Jay, what did you like about Kubo and the Two Strings? So I liked a lot about this movie. Um, you know, obviously there's a reason we selected it, but you know, some of the pros, I mean, obviously it looks amazing. I've never really jived with any of the other Leica movies, and so it's kind of surprising that I jived with it so much, but the style lends itself so easily to the action in this movie. Uh, I'd say the story and the themes of the movie are really strongly conveyed without like hitting you over the head with them. I think that's huge. You know, it's not like taking immortality and slapping you in the face with it, you know, which it's easy for these conversations to get really philosophical and lofty and this movie avoids it and i that kind of leads into my next point which is that it's it's a personal story um that this could have been extrapolated into the end of the world it could have been you know like if kubo doesn't defeat the moon king then the world will cease to exist as we know it but it's really not, you know, it's easy to think that because it's this grand adventure, but, you know, it, it is a really personal story. And the last pro that I'll say is that the characters are really well-defined, too. Uh, I think you know within the first 30 seconds who Monkey are, who Beetle are, and, you know, and Kubo, you know, really is our protagonist. You know, he's the main character, and you see him grow so much from beginning to end, but still be who he is, you know, at his core. And so, yeah, I think just everything top to bottom, I really like this movie. But, yeah, so those are, those are a few of my pros. Great. Eli, what about you? What did you like about Kubo and the Two Strings? So unlike Jay, I am a Leica disciple. I've loved, I love all their movies. They're very near and dear to my heart. And so that particularly makes Kubo very special to me in seeing the evolution of Leica over the course of their films. And Kubo just sort of like 
is kind of the apex almost of what they started in Coraline and went through Paranorman and the box trolls. Kubo was just this epic story that took on a whole different, you know, genre and styling that Lake had never did before. And they tested their their stop motion skills like to the brink. Like they were using all these different techniques that's never been done before with CGI and puppetry. And that really makes Kubo special to me as sort of a it, it kind of shows that Leica has grown, you know, and it's become kind of their peaked form um, um, in the same vein as that. I just, the visuals, I, I, I love, you know, East Asian imagery in my films. I'm big a Kurosawa and Miyazaki fan, and you can see those influences so ingrained in this movie, and it makes, it's such a treat to watch. Um, my particular favorite designs are the leaf ship. I thought that was just so interesting. The origami warriors, uh, the herons turning into lanterns. I could go on and on. Um, but another another example uh, of what I liked is kind of what Jay mentioned. I love the ideas of immortality. It's one of my favorite tropes. And I think Jay is totally right. Kubo deals with it in a very mature kind of way that isn't you know self-aggrandizing or like look at me philosophizing you know it feels very personal and purposeful and so i really appreciate that and one final note while my guitar while my guitar gently weeps is one of my favorite songs of all time and so (laughs) i I very much love it that they that leica used it in the movie uh credits and in the advertising that was one of the big hooks for me when the movie came out was like oh my god like i I love everything about this (laughs) i totally agree i that post like i guess it's the credit scene is just i was like so good like such such a great way to end the movie so I, i totally agree with that what about you, Joey? What did you like about Kubo and the Two Strings? Stop animation. It's amazing. Uh, never get tired of it. It's uh, incredible stuff. I used to make little stop animation films out of Legos and stuff when I was a, a boy. And so I have, a, I have an appreciation for how much work it takes. Um, but it's incredible seeing it done to such perfection. Um, and Lego does it better than anyone. Um, the awesome visuals. There's just so much stuff to look at in every frame. There's so much cool, so many cool things that they do um, with the visuals. And it's a very unique and completely original story that totally extends to the characters and the magic as well. All this stuff is stuff we've never seen before. Um, that it's it's does a really really good job of fleshing that out, I think, and making it into something um, compelling uh, without ever relying on too much stuff that's been built before. Um, and it's a, a there's very touching and thought provoking message. Um, and I love origami. So origami being featured is a pro in my book. <laughs> Very cool. What about you, Benjamin? Well, I echo a lot of things that y'all have said. Beautiful stop motion animation, truly creative and original premise. The origami musical storytelling is pure magic. I mean, that was the moment this movie really sucked me in was when Kubo started playing and telling his story. I mean, uh, you know, it, goosebumps. It was it was fantastic. Same thing. Same thing you guys said about the message. I can't wait to talk more about it with you guys here in a moment. But uh, this, the themes they touch on in this movie are really affecting um, efficient use of time. In the context of it just being like, if you compare it to other movies, is it, it's just an hour and 40, and actually less if you cut out the credit scenes. Um, but it's also really long for a stop motion movie. So I feel like it, it really, uh, it, it just felt compact and efficient. And um, I also like the balance of seriousness and comic relief in this film. So those are our pros. A lot of good things to say about this movie. What about cons? Can we find anything we don't like? Eli, we'll start with you. What did you not like about Kubo and the Two Strings? 
every time I watch Kubo, I feel like I'm missing five or ten minutes in the beginning. Like, a lot of the beginning is purposely vague to be revealed later, and I don't think that's really necessary. I think the film would have been stronger if it opened with, you know, Hanzo fighting the Moon King, giving you, like, a clear example of you know what the family dynamic because mm. you, the movie opens with just kubo's mother sailing away with a magic samisha and then ending up on a beach i think it would have been a better hook if it showed like hanzo fighting the moon king the moon king taking his one eye you know I've, i just think that it there's just i just want more in the beginning to hook because it just feels a little bit too vague and kind of in the same vein with the writing I really don't like the twist of Kubo's parents being Monkey and Beetle. It just seems very obvious. Besides the fact that, <laughs> besides the fact that Monkey and the uh, mother are both Charlie's Theron, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's us. Like the obvious thing aside, it's still. It just doesn't feel like it adds anything to the plot. I honestly would have preferred Monkey and Beetle to be their own characters because I think that would have given another dimension to the whole storytelling theme you know where it's like yeah. monkey would have been her own character and re- like kubo would have been like well you're just following my mother's story what why don't you find your own story and so the fact it's like oh you're actually my mother sort of cheapens her character a little bit you know it's just one of those things you know in a lot of my favorite movies it's always like oh if you could have just done that one thing kubo kind of has that and this this is sort of uh my last con is more of the macro level and that's it's an East Asian setting, an East Asian story, but there's not a lot of East Asian actors. There's only two, and uh, George Takai and Carrie Hiroki Tagawa. And, you know, they both have cameo roles where, you know, you have Matthew McConaughey, you have Charlize Theron, you have Ray Fiennes. And it's like, it's not something that actively you know, takes away from me watching the movie, but it's something after the fact is like, you really couldn't find <laughs> really talented East Asian actors, specifically Japanese actors to tell this story. It's just, it's just a shortcoming that I think brings up, uh, that's warranted to bring up when talking about Kubo. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, yeah, sure. I mean, having Matthew McConaughey play a samurai almost just seems like completely <laughs> out of the blue. <laughs> as much as I love his voice acting in this film, uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's it's something I couldn't ignore. Either. Yeah, it's, it, they, everyone does such a great job. It's just one of those things of like, like, come on, Leica. Yeah. Like, what, what, <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> so, uh, all right, next we'll move on to Jay. Jay, what did you not like about Kubo and the Two Strings? Yeah, I just to jump off of Eli's point a little bit there. I I agree and I think it almost feels like obviously there this takes place in Japan. There's a lot of Japanese imagery, a lot of the culture infused into this movie, but I felt like almost like this movie if if you take those things away, almost could have taken place in any culture like it it could have been celtic it could have been roman it could have been greek you know all of these have great warriors and it almost seems like travis knight picked it because samurais are cool uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like you know there's obviously there's a lot you know there's the lantern ceremony there's you know talking about immortality and obviously that's very intertwined you know with with, with you know japanese culture and how they view the afterlife and things like that but it you know overall you know i felt like it, it was hard to not feel like you know it was it was there because you know the 
they just hadn't done anything like that yet or hadn't done anything in an East Asian culture. You know, I'm talking about Laika. Um, but, you know, that that's pretty, pretty small to me. But I just kind of want to jump off of Eli's point there. I also think that the humor falls a little flat for me in that, like, it's at the end of the day, it's an animated movie. At the end of the day, it's a kid's movie. And so, like, the humor is aimed at people that are 25 years old. I <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, and so, you know, like, Beetle, you know, being kind of an idiot, you know, and some, it makes me smile, you know, and I appreciate that it exists. Otherwise, it would be too serious. But, you know, like, it, it just wasn't, <laughs> it, it wasn't really my gag. And then the last thing that I'll say, and... All of these are kind of stretches for me, by the way, because I'll talk about like this is honestly thinking about it for the first time, really thinking about it's like one of my favorite movies. But I think the ending falters a little bit. I don't really know how I feel about the decision to mind wipe the Moon King, a.k.a. Kubo's grandpa and replace his memories. You know, I mean, despite the good intentions of it, which like it. Like the first two times I watched it, you know, or the, however many times I've watched it before this, is it like it, it's a feel good moment. But then I was sitting there and, and thinking about it this time, and I'm like, man, they just men in blacked this grandpa. <laughs> it's, it's a little disturbing. And it kind of, I was like, oh, it kind of, that feels weird, you know? And I was like, I. And so it kind of left a sour note at the end of the movie for me. But, you know, it, it it's not enough to overcome everything else, but that was a definite con. Right. And I, I'll jump off of that and say that was pretty much my only con. I feel like this movie does so much well. It's hard to point at anything and say, I, don't, I didn't like it or it could have been better. But maybe I just don't understand what, the, what they're trying to say with that. But I agree. It felt weird to just make him like give him a new personality and tell like i mean are they lying to him is there a metaphor i'm missing here Uh, maybe we can get to the bottom of it through our discussion here but i felt the same way a little bit uneasy and finally you joey what did you not like about kubo and the two strings the first thing that stands out to me is the sexual tension between monkey and beetle (laughs) (laughs) just like i didn't really need that really you know (laughs) you didn't like the you didn't like the banter the will they won't they (laughs) it was just kind of yeah exactly you didn't like watching her stroke his like wing hole after he fell out of the (laughs) (laughs) yeah not not a fan um I would have liked to see more details about the magic in this world and exactly what the Moon King's role is in the world, right? Is he like the, he's like a god? Is he the moon? W- what exactly is he? Because he's like, after he's not the Moon King anymore, the moon's still there. So I'm not really sure what he what he does exactly. So I would really like to see what his like what his offer to Kubo really meant. It's like, live with me in the stars. What does that mean exactly? Or you become a star and and you're up there like watching down in humanity or like you just party on the moon all day i, I don't know um the, the the gather the armor mechanic i i didn't really like that very much i think the problem i had with it reflecting on it was that it just felt really automatic it was just like what do we have to do monkey says we have to get the we have to get the armor and then they're like okay we're gonna get the armor but kubo never like realizes throughout the story that fighting the moon king is not the way to defeat him right at the end he kind of comes to that realization because he's got nothing else left besides his samison but um i would have liked to see him challenge that narrative earlier in the film and say you know like i'm not a warrior you know i don't know how to fight uh you know i'm a, i'm a musician i'm an artist like isn't there some way i can 
you know, convert the Moon King? Is there some way I could reason with him? Like, it's weird that his mom uh, corrects him at the very beginning. He says, the Moon King, and she says, no, 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 your grandfather. Like, to humanize him in a way. When she, then she immediately says, he's evil. They're not our family. They're evil. We gotta kill him. So I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. That, that time disconnect was weird for me. And I wish that he had, there'd been more of a build up to Kubo realizing, hey, the way to defeat the Moon King is through love and through acceptance and stuff instead of let's kill him with a sword. Um, because ultimately that is what the movie's trying to say. Okay. Well, that was a lot. I think we've started off a lot of good threads that we'll follow up on in our overall section. And let's get right to it with some questions. So we'll start with, uh, well, I guess uh, this is a question for both of you. Um, first off, who picked this movie and why? Well, I think Eli initially suggested it because I, I was, you know, talking to you guys about what movie and, you know, I, I know Eli's favorite movies more than I know my own favorite movies, I feel like. <laughs> and so, like, my first thought was his favorite movie, Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, which I saw that you had already done. And so I was kind of going through the paces and I asked Eli and he suggested Kubo. And, you know, and, and instantly, as soon as it entered my mind, I was like, yes, this is what we're doing. And so told you guys. And I mean, everybody, I feel like got on board pretty quickly because I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I love this movie, you know, and even though I was critically analyzing it this time and found some cons that I didn't find before, I, I love this movie even more now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, Movies are my favorite art form, and stop motion animation is my favorite kind of movie. It is kind of a the the for me at least the the most pure like cinematic expression of creativity because what you're doing is taking all these objects that aren't alive and then making them alive. And so that's why when you look at my top ten movies, like five of them are stop motion animated movies. They're just so amazing. And so, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox was my first answer, and unfortunately that got pegged before I had the chance. <laughs> and so I was thinking about other stop motion animated movies um, that Jay and I liked, and Kubo was a big one. That that's sort of the the super hyper niche one that blends our two interests. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so it was very easy for me to pick uh to as as a collaborative between Jay and I to talk about you know our different interests my my love for stop motion animation Jay's uh, love for like action and you know character studies so yeah Kubo just I I just I love Kubo I love Leica and I'll take any chance I can to just gush about it because it's so <laughs> underrated <laughs> it really is no I, this is my I'm glad this was the one that the two of you selected because I'd never seen it before. And it's like, how did I miss this movie? Something went wrong uh, that it, I wasn't thinking I'd already seen. So I, I really appreciate that. And Joey and I definitely are stop motion stands as well. So uh, we definitely like you're you're preaching to the choir. I I, I love the, the the medium. It's it's an automatic pro immediately anytime oh, yeah. I get to watch a stop just, motion movie. Just- so much detail you can put in stop animated movie and and when they do it well there's so much detail that's just present throughout because i think when you're staring at something for hours and hours and hours you're like wait can i just stick something in there you know it's it and you end up with all these extra little little uh, clues all these little visual gags that um you don't see in other movies because it's so much more carefully made um and that's that's beautiful so Eli, um, well, I'll ask you this question first, and then Jay, you can follow up. Uh, what about this movie speaks to you personally? I think 
it it speaks to me personally on several different levels. I think both in its presentation and its purpose. Uh, the presentation, as I mentioned before, I love. I love. I, I grew up on Ghibli, so I have a really deep fondness for East Asian animation and just feeling the the love and affection um, coming through every single frame of Kubo really speaks to me uh, from an aesthetic standpoint. And personally, I I'm I'm. So I want to be a novelist. I want to be a professional storyteller. And so any story that focuses on the powers of stories and how that impacts people, it, it resonates with me almost immediately. And I really love just Kubo's approach to that whole thing. Kind of, you know, you don't achieve immortality through material things. You achieve it through sharing your stories with other people so they can continue on that their stories. And, you know, it all becomes sort of you, you, you live through you know, other people's experiences. And so Kubo on both accounts, presentation and purpose really speaks to me specifically. And just the added effect that I, I love, I, I grew up with Leica. And so it's, it, that's just another third dimension of why I really appreciate this movie. What about you, Jay? Yeah. So definitely I, I agree. I mean, pretty much everything. I'm the only one that's like in eh, stop motion. I can I can take it or leave it. I understand <laughs> the appreciation for the craft. I, I understand the appreciation, one hundred percent. And so like that, you know, going into it, I was like, oh, okay, this is stop motion. Coraline's the super creepy movie. Like <laughs> that, that was basically my only frame of reference going into Kubo. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'm not really too sure about this, but you know, I think. The themes and you know what it talks about, you know, storytelling. Obviously, we have Super Bracket Bros, a podcast about, you know, talking about fictional characters from all these different universes. So, like, obviously, me and Eli are into telling stories, into you know what fiction can do for people and how it impacts your your day to day life and who you are and who you grow up to be and all these things. So, you know, storytelling is a huge thing. But I think particularly the idea of memories impacted me a lot. Um, a few years ago now, uh, I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's and it's a, if you don't know, it's a type of dimension that takes away your memories and, you know, slowly your ability to function as a human being, you know, takes away, you know, just your ability to do day-to-day things. And then obviously, you know, just pure baseline functioning. So the idea of memories being a powerful thing struck a serious chord with me, um, because I know from experience or you know from secondhand experience that um you know memories make up who you are you know you are just your brain is just a collection of all the experiences you've had and that decides your next action based on everything that's been done to you before and so you know when you lose your memories you lose who you are you know i i truly i truly believe that and so this movie comes in talks about says memories are a powerful thing kubo uses memories to his advantage you know that that is the the penultimate moment where he you know uh you know turns the the moon king back into you know his grandfather you know and so the um so the idea of like memories that that can be used and it's not just you know like you know i had this fun time at summer camp one year you know it it all is way more impactful than than you think it is and you know the idea of memories degrading over time you know just outside of, of sickness and health and things like that but you know the way that you know you felt in a particular moment you know dictates you know how you go on to um 
how you go on to act in the future. And so memories specifically spoke to me a lot. Yeah, memory was the, one of the themes that stood out to me as the most powerful. And I have that quote right here. I'm going to play it for you. This bracelet, her hair, it's a memory. And memories are powerful things, Kubo. Never lose it. The, uh, like this, the fragility of memory is a huge part of this movie. And it, like, memory, as, like you just said, Jay, memory defines you. Like, Kubo's mother can only remember things for a limited time each day. And the rest of the time, she's just barely even alive. Um, and Beetle had his memories taken from him, which essentially made him indistinguishable from dead and gone. Like, he was, Hanzo was dead, essentially, because he had no memory. Um, and it, like, the, uh, at the end of the movie, like the memories uh, of the loss that helped Kubo defeat the Moon King, those are, you know, again, like a, just like you said, a huge part of that. Um, I feel like the message for me is the same one you just said, Jay, is that your memories define you. And if you can recall your story, then you're alive and you exist. But if you, when you forget, you're a husk and you're just an empty vessel. And I think one of the saddest moments of the whole movie for me is when Hanzo realizes he's Hanzo. Um, he spent so many years lost and confused. He had no direction, not even an inkling of where he belonged. It's not like he was able to follow his instincts or something and seek out his family. He had no idea he even had a family. I think that like people like to believe that major changes in your life take some sort of physical form, that if something really important happened to you, something that defined you as a person, that you would be incapable of forgetting it. But I don't think it works like that. And in Kubo, it doesn't work that way. Without your memories, you're nothing. None of your actions or heroics or connections really matter. Without your memory or your story um, with you, you don't really exist. Yeah, and I, um, I, th I think that's, that's really powerful. And it, and it also um, like goes beyond that to be kind of a responsibility for your, the people who are important to you in life when they pass beyond. Um, not that long ago, I had to go to a funeral for one of my relatives. And one of the most powerful things that happened uh, at the service was people telling their own personal story, standing up and sharing memories uh, from my relative's life. And uh, the really, I, I, it was a moment where, because, you know, we're all in the podcasting realm, we all kind of practice public speaking and being able to express ourselves. And people who can really express themselves clearly, and in a way that's understood by other people, that's a real power to be able to tell that story, especially in a very emotional and, and on a really important setting like that, where you're providing some comfort, um, and also just expanding the depth of knowledge uh, surrounding someone that people loved. So I did that not that long ago. And to, to see a movie like Kubo emphasize the importance of uh, storytelling in the sake of or in the um, context of remembering the people that you love, I found that deeply meaningful. The movie talks a lot about legacy and immortality. And you guys have mentioned that immortality is one th something that you that speaks to you specifically. I think memory sort of leads into that for sure, because your memories of other people lead to that immortality. So what are your thoughts on that? We'll start with uh, Jay. Yeah, so obviously, you know, I have a personal connection here, but then, yeah, I think this ties into this really well. And 
I personally, as cheesy as the this quote might be, is that the idea that you die two times, right, is that once your body fails you, you know, once your whatever you believe, whether it's just a biological thing or your spirit leaves your body, whatever you might believe, that, that's when you die the first time. And then the second time is when your name is spoken for the final time, is when everybody else that knew you, you know, either forgets you or passes on themselves. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of connection to, or I don't know who, you know, like my great grandparents are or my great, great grandparents, but they were people, but yeah, and they influenced who I am today. But, you know, to, to me, they are, they're gone and, you know, there is no getting that back. And so that's why, you know, stories become super important. And now I'm not saying like, I wish my great, great grandfather had written, you know, an autobiography about himself, you know, and, you know, so that I could read it and and know it today and to learn his story. But, you know, the, the idea of, the idea of legacies is important. And, you know, part of the reason, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, starting a podcast, putting my, you know, putting my stamp, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny stamp out on the internet, you know, <laughs> to have, you know, my, my voice heard and, you know, kind of, you know, tell the world a little bit about who I am, you know, was Im- important, you know, and would my life, you know, be less fulfilling if, you know, I didn't get my voice out there like I wanted to, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. But, you know, to me, yeah, right now it was important, you know, talk to me on my deathbed. I might feel differently. I might just be, you know, uh, <laughs> happy, you know, with what I had. And the podcast was just this blip in my life. You know, I really, I don't know. But, you know, talking about, you know, legacy, I guess specifically is what this relates to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I would really like to say that, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter to me, but, you know, I think, I think it does. Yeah, it's something that Benjamin and I talk about all the time is how we're creating a like a an audio record of ourselves and mm-hmm. how we've kind of grown and changed over the last few years. And that's going to be super powerful even if nobody listens to it, even for ourselves or for our kids or our grandkids or something, for them to be able to say, "Hey, like what did my grandfather think of when he was, you know, 27 years old? What is what did he talk about or what was important to him?" That sort of thing is something I don't have access to, right? Like my grandparents uh, didn't really write a lot of stuff down. They have may have journals or something, but who knows where those are if they're illegible even. So I wonder, like, I, I I wonder about the future and whether this will have some sort of impact on the legacy I'll leave because of the people in my life that will be able to more immediately access this. Um, and that's uh, different than it's ever been in the past. It's never been this easy. Um, and you know maybe an EMP will wipe out Google servers in a few years, and it will all <laughs> be lost. But uh, there's always a chance, you know, that it will last for decades or longer. What about you, Eli? So uh, a little side tangent. I actually uh, found uh, my parents showed me one of my grandmother's journals about her trip. Oh, to, really? Yeah, about specifically about a trip to Norway. And I was like, Oh, my God, like, I want to see this, like, you know, my grandmother going back to her ancestral home, I, I was gonna, I was thinking, Oh, my God, I'm gonna get such a new perspective on this wonderful woman whom I love. And just reading it was the most banal, boring. <laughs> we we went to the hotel, we got breakfast, we took a bus. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you're saying your grandmother was no Kubo. She was not the <laughs> grandmaster storytelling. She had years this. Old. She, she had the spirit. I, I think she was as cool as Kubo, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> We're not gonna make Grandma Ellie and the two strings, but um, <laughs> no, no. So uh, I'm gonna. Uh, so obviously, the personal impact of the story is there, but you know, I'm I'm. I studied creative writing in college, so I have I very much enjoy the science behind storytelling. And one of my favorite conflicts is the the battle between the material and immaterial. So you see this a lot in stories of immortality, where a character, usually the villain, is trying to achieve a longer life through like brute force. One of my favorite villains, and this might be off topic, uh, is from the original Blade Runner. If you got, if anybody's mm. ever seen the original yes. Blade Runner. Roy Batty is trying to extend his life as an android through like murdering and things like that. And it's only when he, you know, he, when he's at, at the face of death, he realizes like, oh, like I, I am actually human. Like all these attempts to extend my life to become human was in vain. To become human was to accept the immater- immateriality of my existence. And so in Kubo, the main villain wants to achieve, you know, immortality by directly stealing something of Kubo's. Whereas, Kubo recognizes to, if you really want to be immortal, you need to have experiences with other people. You need to share your story. You need to, uh, you know, create a community that for it to live on. You can't achieve immortality through, you know, material things. You know, you just can't brute force your way through that. So Kubo is particularly strikes a chord because that's one of my favorite conflicts in all of fiction is just that battle of, you know, you know, people want things. They want physical things. So it's like, oh, to be, you know a god to be immortal is to literally live forever no like to achieve immortality as a human is by having your memories live on through other people and so that realization for kubo throughout the story is something and that's kind of why i like the the armor analogy because kubo thinks to defeat the big bad i need these objects whereas in actuality he defeats the big bad by understanding his connection with his parents you know, using the using the 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 strings, which are the symbols of memories, to actually to literally defeat the bad guy, it it, it it's just so well written, and I love that that turn of phrase. So, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's sort of my my take on this subject. Well, he says like right, he, the Moon King is is like offering him immortality, and and um, Kubo says like nothing is forever, and it's exactly right. Like he's the Moon King could be defeated at any point in the future, right? And on an infinite time scale, he will be defeated. It's only a matter of time. But in order to transcend that barrier and to like secure a more like lasting legacy, what Kubo is doing is the right approach by like creating connections between people in his current life and telling stories. But what does the heavens or the place where the moon king resides represent what is it a proxy for something that i can you know combat in real life or is it purely a fantasy that is being propped up against these real life concepts of you know forming these connections and 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 valuing memories i think that it sort of represents like the you know the current you know, and maybe this is just because I'm like tapped into this, you know, and I, I learn about this stuff is, you know, the current pursuit to uh, end aging, you know, that if yeah. we end aging that, you know, all of our problems are going to be solved, you know, and that, you know, we will 
continuously just you know people that want to die can choose to die but if you want to you know continue living that you can do that and you know i think i personally like i i hate that there's even like you know careers out there and there's you know like scientists and you know that are dedicating their life to this because i think it's terrible you know obviously this movie does too but you know i think that um yeah i think that's probably the best real world analogy i think another like fictional one and the first one that i i thought of when you mentioned that ben is if you've ever seen the movie elysium um where you have literally the super rich have left earth they live on this giant halo ring in the sky you know and <laughs> are are rich and fantastic it can heal you know people instantaneously and you know can do whatever they want you know and you know they are the the, the super rich and i think the moon knight's just a more vague or the moon the moon king is just a more vague analogy for that you know i think you know mm. it's less specific and more child friendly you could say um, for me, it's like apathy, I think. Like he, he talks about how without Kubo's eye, Kubo won't be able to see all of the horrible things that happen to Earth, suffering and death and, and sickness and what have you. Um, and so his like him disconnecting from the world, right, allows him to become dispassionate toward people and therefore, you know, will more able to live forever because he doesn't care so much about individuals or anything. He cares more about like himself. It's more a selfish like act, attitude. So to me, it's like a, like uh, to me, he represents just like this apathy toward other people in a way like you need, like other people aren't important. All they're going to do is bring sickness and pain to you. Uh, what you really need to do is focus on yourself and using your magic to, you know, help yourself. Yeah, well, um, I feel like this is a appropriate time to play this quote from the Moon King. As long as you cling to that silly, useless eye, you can't come up to live with me in the heavens. You'll be stuck down here in this hell, staring with that lonely eye at hate and heartache and suffering and death where i want to take you we have none of those things it'll just be you with your family where you belong so i i think both of you have great takes on what that heavens could represent or what that state of being represents uh, that he's trying to tempt him towards and obviously the opposite of that is to kind of value the human experience with all the warts all the terrible things that happen every day that you have to live through uh, and, and find a way to you know persevere through but i also feel like this quote opens up to a potential like branch off of this to ask what does this movie say about family because obviously you're supposed to value this connection to your mother and your father but what about your aunts are they <laughs> and why is, why is it important why is it important that the moon king is his grandfather and you know there's all this interfamily betrayal uh is there some sort of commentary about family that goes beyond just saying family is good well, this is this is part of my one of my criticisms where I was disappointed when Monkey and Beetle were his literal parents. I was expecting sort of the narrative to take a 
you don't always you don't just have your blood family you have chosen family that you can side with too your real family is the friends you made along the way nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is hidden our cheesy quote quota yeah but uh no um yeah that that was one of my i was expecting and kubo does sort of achieve that at the end right when yes. his his family is gone he's accepted that they are gone and you sort of get that sense of his the the village is now his family you know the old lady who he's friends with the the different you know parents um the the two the two uh japanese actors they brought in (laughs) (laughs) but no no like i i I do think that exists i think i think that is you know you know blood ties are such a powerful thing that make people think probably erroneously sometimes where kubo might think like oh this is my destiny that's what is grandfather was trying to play it off as like hey i'm your family you should come do this even though it's probably not the best for you it's your duty as a family member um where kubo is just like no like i like being here i like being with these people they're sort of my extended family and i live with the memories of my parents so again it's that materiality versus immateriality you know the the family is stronger you know as Kubo remembers it versus this Moon King who's like, no, like we can achieve perfection. It's like, no, perfection exists is in the imperfections. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. And I agree um, that his, uh, that it would have been nice to have them emphasize this idea of the chosen family uh, because that does come through very strongly through the village, but for the majority of the movie, we're not at the village and we're not seeing those cameo roles. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that could have been done a little bit, uh, emphasized a little bit more. Yeah. And chosen family is something that me and Eli, we've talked about a lot, you know, and is a theme that we really enjoy. And so, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen more of it in the movie. I think you might be jam packing one too many themes in there <laughs> at that point. You know, I, 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 pres- I, one of the things I appreciate is the briskness of this movie. And so, you know, I, I would have loved to because, like, I'm a big fan. But, um, yeah, but going back to, you know, talking about, you know, family is that I think it's um, it's it's interesting that at the heart of talking about storytelling and immortality and legacy and all these big ideas, there is a story about family trauma and family abuse you know you have the the grandfather the patriarch of this family who convinces all three of his daughters that you know they need to you know feel nothing that they you know have to go out and murder people simply because they are powerful and then you have one of the daughters breaking away trying to trying to you know for all intents and purposes live a normal life you know have a you know, have a family, find a husband, you know, have a, have a son and, you know, grow up, teach him, you know, teach him to play beautiful music and tell beautiful stories. But then, you know, you have the grandfather reaching back into their lives and saying, and being extremely controlling and abusive and and coming in and saying, no, you know, this is not how our family does it. And I think, you know, there's a little bit there is a, a little bit that this movie is saying that, you know, abusive situations are extremely hard to escape from. And, you know, it, which also leads to my con that, you know, the grandfather turning, having his memories vacated, it still doesn't sit well with me. And the fact that, <laughs> but I, I think it does work with, you know, like the ants dying, you know, because sometimes like 
you have family members that you need to cut off and in this case kill <laughs> you know it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily you know it doesn't necessarily equate to you know real life in that way but i i, I think it's a um a legitimate way of handling that it was self-defense yeah. self-defense always self-defense yeah, absolutely That's always right. claim self-defense um yeah, the grandfather losing his memories is an interesting element. I mean, it's certainly a, an interesting twist to a story like this. It's not something you really expect. Um, and they they kind of rewrite him, right? Like, oh, you're a you're a different person than who you used to be. Like, you're a selfless person. You're a you know you're the person who's generous to the poor and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, I understand what you guys are saying about how it's like it's kind of uncomfortable that they just sort of erase him. But like I don't know. The alternative is that he dies, right? And then, like in this, it kind of shows. That I think the idea they're trying to show is like you can change. Like your your not only do your memories define you, but like that 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 magic is so powerful that like it can overwrite your previous version of yourself and become a new person with different values, with uh, different uh, ideals. And all that's holding you back is. Kind of like your memory of you who you think you are kind of weird but yeah maybe if there had been some sort of like flashback of the moon king before he became the moon king but that's also sure. goes into where like the whole magic of this world is pretty vague and i think that might have you know intruded on that a little bit but you know to see him maybe if he had just like if you had gone back to the beginning of his actual life you know where he met you know, presumably, the, you know, the mother of Kubo's mother, you know, and, you know, has this relationship, you know, I assume, you know, that he was a normal man at one point since he reverts to a normal man. So maybe you you could have shown something, you know, where like he actually regains those memories, you know, and it's like, oh, I forgot who I was. And yeah, and the last thing I'll say about that is like when he like comes to and it's like he literally says the words, I think I've forgotten my story. And I'm like, okay, Kubo, that was, uh, <laughs> like, I, you could have you just said, like, I don't remember who I am, and I would have got it. <laughs> yeah, it's, really, it's pretty subtle, I feel like. Uh, there's a lot of different things going on that I didn't pick up on the first couple times I watched it. So I, um, I appreciated the hitting it over my, hitting me in the head with that one. <laughs> So my next question for you guys, what role do stories and fiction play in your life and in the larger world? I know you've kind of expended on this a little bit, but can you talk some more about that? And we'll start with Eli. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm an aspiring amateur storyteller who wants to be a professional, like most creatives. <laughs> you know, the, for me, like, I, I, creative writing has always just been, for me, a science that just always made sense to me. Like, you know, as some people walk into a chemistry lab and they figure out like all the different compounds that come together for me that's storytelling i love studying you know all the like the 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 hero's journey the the nuts and bolts of all our favorite stories i like pick that apart for for personal reasons and one one reason i've come to that makes me realize why i love storytelling so much it's sort of like humanity's like superpower in the face of sort of like you know our defiant stance against the like oncoming you know existential there's no way for me to word this without sounding super drab but <laughs> you know without saying the word apocalypse yeah like <laughs> like you know the, the you know the it's like it, you, no one can escape death in fiction or in real life and so for me this is sort of like 
humanity's approach to like transcending that because as we talked about sort of ad nauseum at this uh in this podcast is that the powers of storytelling that it's it's sort of like a you know uh, a catalyst for that immortality you know we're still talking about william shakespeare we're still talking about you know all, all the epic of gilgamesh and you know uh moby dick and all this and that's something that's a power that's a superpower to me that's sort of real life magic is that how you can captivate people through things that never existed through places and people who aren't real that to me is the closest thing to magic in this world and that's why i love exercising and exploring and studying it i love that what about you jay yeah, no, I'm I'm in the same line of thinking as Eli here. I think I think an engaging narrative, like the ability to capture a person's attention and, you know, to sway their opinion is extremely powerful. You know, it, it goes back to, you know, and I'm now I'm overstuffing our cheesy quote, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, quote it here. <laughs> put, it, but, put it in the jar. <laughs> but um, you know, the people, you know, it, it's true that people will never remember what you say, but they'll remember how you know, you made them feel. And I think that's so true is like, if I don't watch Kubo for the next five years, it's still going to be one of my favorite movies. Cause I'm going to remember, like I did a whole podcast about it. So that's like, <laughs> I'm going to remember it a lot better than other movies, but you know, like it's, I'm going to remember the feeling that it filled me with, you know, the sense of, you know, joy and purpose and, you know, and expressing the SD, the uh, expressing these ideas that, I agree with and I and I jive with on an existential level. And so I think it's super important, you know, to be able to tell something that's engaging because then if you grab somebody's attention and you hold it in a non um superfluous way, that they they will actually believe you and believe in you and then, you know, you can, you know, change the hearts and minds of the people and, you know, and and, and do that for good, I think. So, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's super important. Yeah, uh, fiction is lies to tell the truth to me. It's so important to have stuff like this that synthesizes complicated ideas into easy to understand um, like mediums. And I think film does that better than almost anything. And uh, Kubo does such a good job exploring these ideas. And I, I feel like it, it's a lie that tells the truth in such a powerful way because, if it's, it, because it's about stories, too. Um, so in that, so that's uh, something that the animators and the filmmakers talked about, about how they connected to Kubo, is that he was a storyteller, just like they were an animator, even. Um, so that's <laughs> a, it's a, it's a cool uh, connection, for sure. And I love being a part of that. Okay, let's move on to our, our favorite sec action set piece. Um, I think you guys all, I think all three of you picked the same thing. <laughs> I, I have some backups I can bring up because I knew other people were going to say this one, but yeah. <laughs> all right, Jay, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I guess I get to take, um, <laughs> I get to take the lead on this one, but the, the battle with the boat sinking between Monkey and one, one of her sisters is amazing like the 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 lightning in the backdrop the rain pouring down on them the ship falling apart you know the intense emotional connection between these two you know outside of what you're actually visually seeing is incredible you know like the you you feel every hit every impact between the two you know it, there's just so many levels going on there and it's just like i and it's one of the many moments in this movie where i thought to myself how 
what yes. <laughs> is going on here behind the scenes to make this happen. Yeah, I saw little clips of this, uh, like in the like behind the scenes and some of the YouTube videos I watched. It's incredible. It's amazing watching them pose each little piece and how they fluidly move around and like they put little tails on the sword to make it look like it's swishing through the air to like give it like that that motion. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. What about you, Eli? What's your favorite uh, action set piece? So I I agree and. Uh, with the boat scene being my favorite, but I want to shout out some other fights, uh, particularly the the skeleton fight. Yeah, and that and that for me, the choreography and the actual like movement of the fight isn't all that great. But it's just like Jay mentioned, the whole how you know when you see behind the scenes of how they did this fight makes the fight eat, like worth it. You know what I mean? It's it's a sixteen foot tall, <laughs> four hundred pound <laughs> puppet. So when it's actually giant, it's literally giant. Like the puppets are actually like our main characters are that size because they're fighting something that much bigger. And it's one of those filmmaking tricks that just it makes me smile ear to ear. Like oh my god, <laughs> it's like one of the coolest things. So yeah, the, the actual fight itself is kind of you know you know kind of it's not as good as the boat fight but the sheer artistic ability i think is on par with the boat scene it is one of the coolest you know it, there, i think there's a reason leica used both of those uh two of both of those fights in their marketing so heavily it was just like yeah. hey look at what we can do like <laughs> well there's a reason that like there's a you know you have your main credits where it animates the story and then they switch to a behind the scenes where you see the giant skeleton with a green screen behind it and it's like leica saying like hey in case you didn't notice how cool this was, here it is again. <laughs> yes. I, and I want to shout out, Leica does that with all their movies. If you stay mm. after the post credit scenes, they do. They always show them making the movies. And if you ever watch the box trolls, uh, at the very end is two characters talking about how they're being animated as oh, the God. animator is animating them. It's super meta and really, yeah. it's really cheeky and I love it. No, if you, you, Leica, you should definitely, anytime you watch a Leica movie, stay, stay after the scenes. You can, see some really cool behind the scenes stuff very cool um do you guys know any origami no <laughs> no, no <absolutely> not. <laughs> i don't I know how to make a paper airplane man <laughs> yeah. oh my god <laughs> i think my quote i wrote down here so elegantly is do paper footballs count dot 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 question mark sure <laughs> it's american origami yeah that's yeah. right american origami well the question is do you guys know any origami well i, I, I know didn't think, quite a bit well yeah i didn't think about paper airplanes but if we're going to count those yes i actually <laughs> one time had a uh internship at this factory that had this huge printer and i my job oh did not have anything to do with the printer but they <laughs> let me print off a gigantic sheet and we made a huge like 10 foot long paper airplane that flew like five feet yeah <laughs> it, it crashed to the ground immediately it's too heavy uh but it was uh it, it was definitely my biggest quote-unquote origami ever that's hilarious yeah we've we've told stories about how i made giant paper dragons on this um on this podcast before but yeah i let's see i, I know how to make a boat a balloon a bird a star a dragon i used to know how to make a kangaroo there's a, i have a bunch of origami books um what, what about a frog I can I can do a frog out of an index card. I actually once me and my roommate made a thousand paper frogs out of all the index cards that he had used throughout those um his uh <laughs> his like freshman year. He had like an index card for every topic and every class, and so we took all of them and made them into paper frogs uh, over the course of a weekend. 
<laughs> did Kubo have any uh, impact on you liking origami, or has this always been something you've? No, this is something I've been doing since uh, like I was a kid. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad taught me how to make a paper boat and then a paper hat, you know, from the boat. So it's a uh, something that I've always done, I guess, and it's something that I've uh, I just kind of do compulsively whenever I have paper around me. I just kind of start folding stuff. It's a helpful way to keep my fidgety fingers busy. <laughs> Okay, well, that is going to wrap up the first part of this episode. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around, because when we come back, we're going to be discussing our cool Easter eggs and quotable moments. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is DJ Jones, nose tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. This is Squilliam Fancy Son from Band Class. And you're listening to Affable Chat. My favorite podcast. Good eye. I'm an Australian wildlife expert. When I'm out in the outback, I love listening to Affable Chat. It's the best podcast ever. Even the animals love it too. This is Corey Novotny. This is Donnie Dolphin. Oh, it's me, Daddy Zuko from Greece. This is Ghislaine Maxwell, and you're listening to Affable Chat. And we're back with the Super Bracket Brothers, Jay Davis and Eli Stokes. Uh, we're going to get things going again with our cool Easter eggs. Jay, what do you got for us? So I went directly to the source. I went to Leica's website. And I, first thing I wanted to say is that there was a tab that said work with us. And uh, um, I was like, this doesn't seem real. Like a movie studio <laughs> should not have a button that says work with us. Um, but I wanted to talk about the giant skeleton in the room. Uh, so it is the... <laughs> single largest puppet ever assembled for a stop motion film and you know when I, when I say that you know people might think puppet okay what is a what is actually you know a puppet mean well this thing was twice the size of a of a human man like this was ginormous you know i don't have the exact dimensions here i wasn't able to you know find them but you know it's what is it oh eli has it here it's 16 foot tall 400 pound behemoth controlled by a computer that that's absolutely <laughs> insane to me and then the other thing that i wanted to to give a shout out to was the the boat is that there were three different leaf boats each each boat with a quarter of a million leaves attached to it yes. all individually manually put together the boat by a laser cutout leaves and leaves and that like it would have been so easy to or not not easy i shouldn't say that but it would have been easier just to <laughs> make the boat right you know but they want color it like it has leaves on it yeah exactly yeah exactly but they didn't you know like i felt like when they are focusing on beetle and monkey arguing and the leaves are flowing towards them and the first time i watched it, i'm like oh it's gonna be like a, a dinghy or it's gonna be a canoe right but no it's a freaking pirate ship of a boat like <laughs> it's absolutely massive and then realizing you know what they actually had to go through to make that was was incredible so i loved you know going behind the scenes and learning about that oh yeah but every time you get into the statistics about lakey like it's amazing just the sheer numbers uh of of different pieces that they're creating uh it's a it's amazing um eli you have some uh cool easter eggs for us yeah and pretty much all my easter eggs have to do with because i'm a huge animation nerd um but going on the the skeleton that was directly inspired by the great the god 
Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw out some respect on him for being, you know, one of the greatest stop motion animators, one of the greatest animators ever. Um, some other fun facts. I know uh, a lot of the inspiration for Kubo I mentioned before comes from Ghibli movies. So Hayao Miyazaki's work, you can kind of see inspired by just the just the styles and the movements and pretty much anybody you know, who is an animator has some inspiration from Hayao Miyazaki. So I love that they included uh, sort of that that inspiration within every single frame of the movie. And my final fact, and I again, I just want to emphasize for anybody out there who's sleeping on stop motion animation. <laughs> Jay. How, <laughs> to put respect on these guys who are putting in the work for the stop motion animation, they, uh, in one of the interviews, like uh, one of their animators say, an animator who's having a really good week in stop motion animation, like a whole week of like 40 hours, maybe more of good work, will get maybe seven seconds of footage in. So it's just amazing. It, <laughs> it's so it, amazing. It goes, it goes with the quarter of a million leaves for each of those boats. You know, like that's why stop motion animation isn't as popular as like 3D animation is because there's just so much material and just blood, sweat, and tears you have to put in, but my god, like, that's that's kind of why I love stop motion animation, because if somebody's gonna make it, they really, 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 really want to make it. <laughs> Not saying I don't respect what they do every day. <laughs> it just doesn't... Stop, stop motion doesn't make The Missing Link not a boring movie, and it doesn't make Coraline fair. not creep the hell out of me, okay? Fair, fair, fair. I, I, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> Well, um, speaking of Coraline, uh, which was made in 2009, um, Coraline was previously the longest stop motion film ever, but now this is the longest stop motion film ever at one hour and 41 minutes. Although I think that's interesting because they're definitely counting some of the uh, like normal animation that's used in the uh while my guitar gently weeps at the end mm. so I, I don't know exactly what the the math is on that <laughs> but it is it currently stands as the longest stop motion film to date uh also we we talked about this in our synopsis or we we, na- we mentioned it but the three-stringed instrument that kubo plays is called a samison it's spelled shamisen, but pronounced samisen, and it's a traditional Japanese musical device. Right. So I have a little bit more about that too. So the the pick he uses is called a, a bachi, actually, and the construction of the samisen varies in shape depending on the genre in which it's used. The instrument used to accompany a kabuki has a thin neck, uh, facilitating the agile and virtuosic requirements of that genre. Uh, the one used to accompany puppet plays in folk songs has a longer, thicker neck instead to match the more robust music of those genres. Um, so it's just a fun facts from Wikipedia about the Samisen. So this is the lowest grossing film to be, be released by Leica. And it is the first Leica film not to make over $100 million. The film only made $73 million. And uh, I don't... We talk about... Uh, like how much money a movie makes kind of in context of like how quote unquote successful it is. Like, I I think that's purely market and like the reach of the movie. I don't, I think you can have a great movie that doesn't sell. Right. But um, it's a shame that this one didn't do, wasn't quote unquote successful uh, because I do think it's so great. 
And um, also, fun fact, this is like a, a true Easter egg. Matthew McConaughey uh, had never been uh, in an animated film before this. This is his first animated role. And uh, which I think, like, we talked about him a little bit, too. I think he did good. Like, I, I like McConaughey. Yeah. He's funny, especially as kind of like an oaf, uh, a lovable oaf. And uh, finally, this movie was released the same week as the Obon Festival, a Japanese custom that f- features prominently in the film. When you see them doing the festival in the village, that's actually uh, apparently very authentic. Um, I got some Easter eggs, too. So there's a really good uh, interview with Travis Knight on Wired from back when this movie first came out. And he mentions that he wanted the film to look and feel as if it's moving wood bro- woodblock print. Um, and I feel like they, they kind of captured that uh, pretty well. They, he talks a lot about his, the influence that Japanese culture had on him when he was a kid and how much that inspired him to make this movie, too. It's an interesting article. Um, you should go and read the whole thing. Um, the, so this movie, the stop animation, is done with 3D printed materials. Um, and there's a company called um, uh, Stratasys. Which is an Israeli-based company that prints most of Leica's um, like faces, basically. So the puppets themselves um, have various different pieces, but the faces are actually rapidly prototyped, three um, D printed, like uh, little faces. And they ended up using about sixty-four thousand different faces throughout this whole movie, um, but they have the possibility of making like twenty-two million different ones. So every time someone changes their expression, that's a different uh, like face. It's been t- like snapped off and put back on, snapped off, put back on. And they actually show you the some some of the videos I saw. Some of the like the faces kind of exploded, and you can see like the different pieces, like the eyeballs are one piece, and how each piece can be it fits together inside the head, and how each little piece can be moved slightly so that you can get the feeling of someone's moving their eyes around or changing their expression. It's incredible, um, and this was something that Leica basically um, created. This is some this is a process that they invented in order to make stop motion movies, and so it's that combination of old animation style stop animation with brand new technology that's allowing them to do stuff that's never been done before and they're actually the rapid prototyping stuff was um, something that they insisted on and eventually developed themselves essentially and uh, stratasys was like what do you what do you need from us and they said we need something that you can print immediately like we need you to come up with we need to have our animators come up with a expression and then for us to have it in our hands within a couple of hours and they were the ones uh able to do that um and it's it's incredible stuff so they actually said that um there's like let's go back to your uh easter egg uh eli they'll have over 250 different faces for a single character over the course of 27 seconds. Uh, so that's how many times things will change. Wow. And I think they talked about this, like it's probably an extreme example, but I'm thinking about when Kubo's sitting uh, in the fire uh, with Monkey inside the whale. You know, he's, he has to go through a bunch of different emotions in that scene where he's making fun of Monkey and then he's, he gets deadly serious and then he gets worried. All of those expressions are, you know, in the, not just the expression that you end up with, but the transitions between expressions are all different faces that they have to print. So it's pretty cool. And like Jay mentioned, Leica has a bunch of cool Easter eggs and trivia on their website. You could check that out. One of the things I found really interesting was that the costumes actually have tiny weights in them to make them move about more naturally. Uh, because when they're really light and small, it looks like, you know, 
they just kind of float. So you put little weights in them to make them seem like they're heavier. Um, and the sister's cape has over 616 individual feathers. And it took two people three and a half days to do it. It was a total of 100 hours to apply all the feathers <laughs> to the freaking cape. Um, and each puppet uh, has about three, took about three to four months to complete from, like, I guess from the ground up, uh, including the little, like, mo wire model inside of it to, like, its clothes and everything. And a principal character can have up to about 28 different body puppets, uh, depending, I guess, on scale and what they're wearing or, or what's going on in that scene. Um, so, uh, as you can tell, there's a ton of work that goes into this sort of thing. And it makes you it, wonder why there's not more stop motion animation. <laughs> it doesn't really. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there, there's so much work that goes into something like this. And um, the result is that you don't notice, right? The result is the movie looks incredible and seamless, and you forget that you're watching a staff animated movie um, and, until you see all that incredible detail uh, that only something physical can, can provide. It's pretty cool. You know, er earlier it's like a good week for these stop motion animators is six seconds. It's like, wow, stop motion must be a really difficult medium. And then it's like, well, we made each sister's cape out of 616 individual feathers. Like, okay, you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good an yeah, an animator gets, to gets six seconds, but another animator spends an entire week just gluing feathers to a cape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what, what intern's job was that to sit there with yeah. the glue and go... You got the feathers. <laughs> like, are you serious? All of these on here? <laughs> it can't be. It's going to be forever. Travis Knight has like the, the megaphone and the director's hat and it's just yeah. like it's for my vision <laughs> just standing right next to them yelling yeah, a, 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 originally they were just going to have one sister and then Travis Knight Travis Knight just ruined an intern's day and was like actually we're going to go with two sisters for this one what do you think about that bud and, and in the meeting room everyone just slowly turns to him <laughs> just like what That's, oh, it's funny you say that because I, I saw an interview with one of the I guess one of the producers, and he said that they were negotiating with like the creators of the film and like and with Stratasys about how many freckles Coraline had on her face, um, because they were like <laughs> saying, okay, we can do ten freckles, but like if we do eleven, then it's going to take us this much longer to make this movie. <laughs> I, so it's I, think, yeah. I think one last bit of trivia I'll throw in here. Everyone's not aware. Like, Leica doesn't make a lot of money back on their movies on the initial release. They do make money on the back end through DVDs, but it's still it's they 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 eat up a lot of lost revenue um, through marketing and just yeah. the return on investment. If you're wondering why Leica is still functioning, Travis Knight, the director, is also the founder of Leica, and he is the son of the co-founder of Nike. So he... Ah. <laughs> he, ah. he, he, he <laughs> this is very much a passion project that he's able to bankroll. So, I mean... No, that's what, if, if, if you're, if you're going to be that guy, this is what you should be doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now we're ready to move on to our quotable moments, and I believe Eli has the first one. And do you plan on finishing the story this time, young man? <laughs> so, <laughs> this quote is right in the beginning of the movie. And it's the most obvious lampshading, wink at the audience quote you could have possibly made. And I love it for that reason. <laughs> I, I, studied, I studied screenwriting in college and we sort of talked about a, like the theme statement of the script. You know, mm. where is the what character is going to mention something that is the overall like thesis of the movie. And one of my big 
whenever I watch a movie, I love trying to find out what the theme statement is. What's the line you turn to that you circle and be like, okay, every other part of the movie comes from this quote. And to me, this is this is the the theme stated. Um, we talked about this during the break, but we've gotten really meta <laughs> with with this episode, and this is a very meta quote of <laughs> you know, like the old lady's just like, hey, Kubo. Are you going to finish the story this time? You know, wink, wink. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just something the film nerd in me. I, I, I just love, I love super obvious stuff like that. It just, you know, it's so cheeky and funny. And clearly the, the filmmakers kind of like nudging each other, seeing like, hey, see what we did? <laughs> right before this, she, when she says like comedy, you know, you got to put a little bit of comedy in there. It helps balance everything out, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, when she said that, and I thought about all the beetle moments, and I thought about exactly Kubo giving uh, monkey a beetle crap. just flashes through your head. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, our next quote is uh, from actually two quotes from Jay. Uh, do you want to preface this with anything, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. So I brought two quotes that are sort of that, that are very connected to each other, and this is something I only noticed, you know, this last time watching it, like a lot of things I brought up today. Um, but um, this one is uh, Kubo and mother, um, Kubo and his mother talking to each other at the fire, and they're they're talking about Hanzo, uh, Kubo's father. Oh, this one is easy. Hanzo was a mighty warrior, skilled with sword and bow. No, what was he really like? When he wasn't fighting, when he was with us. He was just like you. Like me? Yes, strong and clever and funny and oh, so handsome. Mother. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Never forget how much he loved you, Kubo. He died protecting us. And this quote connects to a quote that comes up later on when Monkey, Kubo, and Beetle, who is obviously later revealed to, in fact, be his father, are are sharing a meal together. And Beetle asks Kubo what he was like before they met. Kubo. Question. Before you started on your heroic quest, what were you like? Well, I looked after my mother mostly. And I told stories about mighty warriors seeking revenge with battles and monsters and magic. I was pretty good at telling them. Not so good at ending them. Sometimes I would tell my mother stories about little things, like skimming rocks across the river or catching fireflies in the mulberry fields. And when I told those stories, I could see her eyes were mostly clear. I could tell she saw me, really saw me. I could see her too, her real self, her spirit, trying to find its way out. It was beautiful. You know something, Kubo? Back when you just told stories, before you went on this great adventure, you were still very much a hero. So these two quotes, you know, put together, I mean, it's just a another subtle hint. I mean, maybe not so subtle hints, you know, throughout the movie that Beetle is actually Hanzo. But this one, I think, is a really subtle way of 
talking about how much they are alike. You know, going back to our discussion about, you know, blood relatives versus, you know, chosen family, this is a way that, you know, Hanzo was able to pass on something to his son. You know, they were they both wanted to know about each other without realizing, you know, who each other were to them. And so, you know, you have Kubo starting off the movie asking about his father, caring about his father's story, you know, who he was, what he did, and how he really was with his family. And then you have Beetle reciprocating, you know, and asking Kubo what he was like before this adventure, before they met. And so... You just have these two characters who, you know, despite the fact that we might know their their true connection, they don't know in that moment, but still are are have a, a real connection. So yeah, I, I noticed that this time and I and I really loved these two quotes combined. Oh, it's such a cool connection. I, I love stuff like this. I think this movie does such a good job with that. There's so many little tiny moments that are that are linked that you don't really notice until you watch it kind of back to back. Um and yeah, I really love the idea of like Kubo's uh, learning about his father and like his father's stories continuing on. And then in a way, Kubo is himself in another version of his father and then is influencing Beetle when Beetle asks him what he's like. So it's almost like this circular thing where like Hanzo is almost telling his story back to himself in a way. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's really cool. I, I it's, like there's that one moment, uh, another like small connection is when. Uh, the, the grandfather asks Kubo what happened to his eye, which is the same thing that his mother asks early in the film after she wakes up from a nightmare. Um, it's just these small little little things that I feel like uh, resonate throughout this film that are so careful. Um, it's pretty cool. Oh, Kubo. When you're up there with me, you will be beyond stories. You will be immortal. You will be Infinite. Yeah, if you couldn't tell by how creepy that line was, that's the villain of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ray finds his best. Yeah, Ray Fies is excellent. Uh, but I, I included this quote as sort of a bookend to the first quote um, in the beginning, where the first quote, the, you know, are you going to finish your story this time? That was sort of the thesis for the hero. I think this line is the thesis for the villain, sort of his battle of, you know, I like to achieve more immortality. I have to go beyond human capacity for storytelling. I have to be something more. And so you kind of get a new perspective on the villain of like why he's doing this. And I think that is the most clear example of, of the villain's motivations, which are just as important as a hero's motivation. So I was happy towards the end of the movie, they revealed the moon King. It would have been very flat if the moon King just showed up and was like, give me your eye. And they didn't really, you know, explain it. But yeah. I think this, this line gives him enough context to recognize, Oh, this is what Kubo is fighting for. Like he, he wants to, you know, not transcend. Literally. He wants to transcend metaphorically. And I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy, Joey, you brought in the no at the end, <laughs> just as the defiant, like that, that's Kubo's stance. It's just like, no, I'm not, you have a misguided idea of immortality. I, I've learned from my parents how to achieve it, and I'm going to achieve it. Okay, well, that is going to bring us to the end of our quotes, and that is where we're going to uh, end our discussion on Kubo and the Two Strings. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will deliver our ratings 
Uh, and we'll start with you, Jay. What rating do you want to give to Kubo and the two strings? Uh, so I'm happy I get to seem like the original creator of this rating system before <laughs> Eli gets to it. Um, but I'm going to go, uh, I just, you can hold your applause at my genius here, but I'm going to go two out of two strings. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I. <laughs> It's just me saying that I think this movie is absolutely brilliant in a lot of different ways. You know, despite, you know, we can be really, I felt like I was being really nitpicky because I wanted to bring good criticisms to this episode. But honestly, you know, this, this movie is fantastic. I love it to pieces. And honestly, yeah, like reviewing my top 10, you know, I think this movie definitely belongs in there. Excellent. All right, Eli, you're up next. What rating do you want to give to Kubo and the two strings? I'm actually going to give it a different rating than Jay. I am going to give it 245,449 leaves out of 245,450. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I think it's a great movie. I have some issues with the, with the, cohes- the cohesion of the writing, but I think it's ideas and the, the artistic direction and execution more than make up for any of those shortcomings I have. It is an excellent movie and I'm really happy we got to talk about it today. One fewer leaf, then it would be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So um, for my own rating, I'm going to be giving this movie a Samison in a pool of tears Mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't know what that instrument was before this episode and I really love (laughs) Regina Spector's cover uh, during the credit (laughs) sequence of this movie. Honestly, I've already listened to it like 20 times and I watched this movie. so recently so it's uh it's really good uh and joey finally what is your rating for kubo and the two strings an everlasting memory that lives on (laughs) that's beautiful there you go i love it i love it well jay and eli we so enjoyed having you join us here on Apple Chat to discuss this movie. Um, where can the good people of the Apple Chat community find you on the internet? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having us on. This was an absolute blast. You know, we loved having you on our show, so we knew we had to come back on on your show and, and talk about a fun movie. But if you want to find uh, what we are up to, I we have me and Eli. We host Super Bracket Bros. It is a podcast where we take 32 fictional characters, put them in a tournament against each other to see who will come out on top. You know, so each episode is a matchup in that tournament. So, for example, we are in the middle of season three. We had Joey joined us for Okoye from the MCU versus Trevor Belmont from Castlevania. That was extremely fun. And Benjamin joined us for Batman versus Sir Nighteye from My Hero Academia. And that was in the second round. So if you wanted a good place to start, it would be jumping into the middle of the season. But, you know, if you want a point of reference, someone you're familiar with, definitely go and find Okoye versus Trevor Belmont or batman versus sir night eye and i know everybody knows batman so you know you definitely you know have a a good place to start there um but yeah we we have a lot of fun we love talking about these characters we love having guests on the show so definitely check us out on any podcast platform that you can find you know affable chat you can certainly find super bracket bros um i do have another podcast i do with my friend cam called the ultimate sports mashup um where we take historic sports teams from across time and bring them together for a debate on who would win so you know some 
examples include we had Oscar Robertson's uh, Cincinnati Royals going up against Russell Westbrook's Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, we, me and Cam, we each pick a team, we bring up points and we debate, you know, who would win between the two. And then we pump the results into our whatifsportsimulator.com and we give you the answer. So, you know, it's an, that's that's a blast <laughs> if you're if you're a sports fan. Um, but yeah, so those, those are my, you know, two, two big projects that I'd love doing them, but yeah, you can find either one on any podcast platform. Yeah. And if you're more interested in written material versus the sonic material, I, <laughs> I have my website up, uh, eliasstokes.com, E-L-I-A-H-S-T-O-K-E-S, where I post all my writing, uh, my journaling, uh, occasionally I'll pop in a movie review here and there. So if you ever want to interested in my thoughts on things, uh, check out that, check out my website if you wanted to read what I'm cooking. And all links to these things are in the description of this episode, so we'll make it easy for you, of course. But once again, thank you to the Brothers Super Bracket for uh, (laughs) for joining us here for this episode. Um, But that is going to wrap up our conversation on Kubo and the Two Strings. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we're doing James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. So it's the Very exciting. the new one, not the not the one that was just Suicide Squad. It's the Suicide Squad. So right. we'll see you twenty twenty one. Yes, <laughs> adding an article to the uh, title, maybe the thing it was missing for the first time. So <laughs> we'll see if that fixes it. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this podcast, then tell your friends. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That is going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>